Good to see you on this bright, sunny day. How are all the D now? How are the students doing? Did y'all have a great time this weekend? Yeah. I'm, I don't think you wore them out, Jared. I don't see where Jared is right now, but I don't think you wore them out. That was a lot of energy still coming out of that group. Normally, I think they're coming in, they're like leaning on each other, falling asleep and, and all that because they've been going all weekend, but it's great to see everybody. I'm, praise God. I think we had 70 plus students this weekend. Is that right? Uh, 80? Oh, okay, there he is back there, 80. Praise God for that. Praise God. May God, um, may God be pleased that some of them would came to Christ and be strengthened in their faith as they move forward. Now, let me see. It has been... Um, I'm, I'm standing here today, and, and is this on? Oh, I haven't done that. Is it? Oh, there we go. I don't know how to get rid of that now. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this is kind of, this is kind of one of these, uh, yeah, it's going to turn off on me now, right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're around me very long, you know, I've been coming to this church a little over 20 years now, and Anybody that's known me anywhere along that line, me and technology always seem to be on two sides of the fence, and we just don't know how to talk to each other, you know? Um, but sometimes things don't always go so well. And I wanted to point out, because this morning, when you look at the sermon series, it's called The Blessed Life. And when I looked at that, walking the road less traveled, do you realize the first Sunday that I showed this was the first Sunday of this year, the first Sunday in January? That's when I started this series. And then, man, things have happened. For me, it was in January. It was uh, getting COVID, ending up in the hospital, overcoming by God's grace and being restored. And here I am back. And then in February, it was the, the, the snowmageddon, the ice storm and all of that. And I know the week after, I was just like, you know, the sermon that would have been was the sermon we're going to talk about today where the text we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, so go ahead and go there. And I was like, man, Lord, I don't know if I could talk about Ecclesiastes and the theme of Ecclesiastes the week after this ice storm when there was so much that went wrong um, because, you know, it's really, when you talk about Ecclesiastes, it's talking about the vanity of life or the meaningless of life in light of the certainty of death. It's just, I didn't feel like that was the thing we wanted to talk about right after the snowmageddon, right? But here we are on today, and probably out of all of the messages in this series that, um, that I probably had any kind of uncomfortableness to deal with, it was this one. Because this is a very real, real passage. The message of Ecclesiastes, and, and you're going to go, well, which passage are we in? We're going to go through pretty much the theme of the book, and we're going to hit different aspects of it. Because when you talk, about it, you talk about Ecclesiastes, you're really taking a critical look into life because things don't always turn out like they, like they planned. I remember the first Sunday, I was so excited. I can go all the way back to last November and even kind of the first of November when I began to look at some of the wisdom literature and really got excited about some of the things God was saying to us. You remember Psalm 1, blessed is the person who delights themselves in the law of the Lord, the law meaning there, the, uh, God's instruction, God's teaching. And we begin to realize that the blessed life really wasn't about what we attain, what we accomplish, but the blessed life was the life that God looked at, was a life where the person delighted in his instruction. You know, so many times we defined our, how good our lives are going by what's going on around us. Why that's that Saturday sitting in the hospital 
when I wasn't feeling good and I was sitting there and I was asking myself the question, am I any less blessed right now because I'm going through this and I'm sick and not feeling good? And I had to say no, because my blessedness is not based on what I attain or how well everything's going on around me. My blessedness has everything to do with my relationship with God. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to look at life a little bit differently. We begin to evaluate life differently. And we started right there in Psalm 1, then we jumped over to Proverbs chapter 3. It was a month later, but we did. And we looked in Proverbs chapter 3 where it talked about wisdom and, and gaining wisdom. In fact, in chapter 3, there we saw where the section began with the word blessed and ended with the word blessed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Blessed in the ended with blessed is the one who gains or keeps wisdom. And we realize how important God's instruction is in our life, how valuable it is. We can't push it off to the side and throw it away and expect to understand blessing in this world. We cannot. And then the next week we looked at Proverbs 1.7 and 9.10 where it talked about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And we talked about what that means to, to fear God because today we don't like anything, you know, fear. We use fear to get all people to do different things. We use fear to motivate. But that wasn't the idea of the word. The idea of the word was literally a deep respect it was the idea of awe of who God is and, and what he is and really a word that we don't use very often anymore, reverence. Reverence that we revere something, that we hold it in high regard. And that's the picture is that as we hold God in a high regard in our lives, it begins to impact how we live our lives. That the blessedness of my life really does not begin with what I attain or accomplish. It really begins with my attitude towards God. And as you walk in this morning, I guarantee you that's just as true. Whether you're here or you're online, your attitude towards God really is directly related to how you are blessed. Because he's the one that blesses us. He's the one that sustains us. And he's the one that keeps us. And when I look through Proverbs, Proverbs has a lot of, of sayings and truths and so forth. If you do this, then this. And you do this, you do this. And then, and then you know, I started looking at uh, over the last, uh, here, this is the first Sunday of March. And I started this the first Sunday in January. And I went... You know, Lord, that's a lot like Ecclesiastes. Things just don't go the way we always anticipate, do they? If you're around me very long, somewhere along the line, I'll share some story where I'll share with you, yeah, God and I are kind of going around the bush on this. He's not, I am, but nevertheless, I always kind of think, you know, we're kind of going around the bush. I'm kind of telling him what I think about something because I don't like it where it doesn't seem to fit within what I understand, what I thought God was gonna do in my life. And a lot of times I'm imposing my expectations or I'm imposing my ways and, and my own desires instead of really taking time to listen. But nevertheless, we have this conversation and God in his gentleness, if my heart will be soft and hearing in his gentleness, he has a way of growing me and, and, and molding me and teaching me. And sometimes in the hardness of my heart, I reject it and I go through some difficult times. And nevertheless, God is patient towards me and enduring towards me to bring me to be more and more like his son, his ultimate goal. That he began a good work in me and he's going to perfect that good work under that day when he would come again. I believe that. 
I trust him with that. And so when we walk into the book of Ecclesiastes, I begin to really think, well, what is it that Solomon's trying to say here? When you look at the, the word Ecclesiastes in the Greek, we get our word ecclesi uh, ecclesiology, where ecclesi, uh, oh, I just went all bank tying up here today, but it's the idea of to gather or to assemble. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word literally means it's one who gathers. It's one who gathers the people. And a lot of times it's somebody who's gathering the people to say something. So like in verse one of Ecclesiastes, you see where it refers to Solomon as the, the preacher, because that's the one who gathers, they called, they would use that term. So that's where that gets it from. So this is a gathering. It's whereby Solomon is gathering people together and these things he's saying to them, he's imposing upon them wisdom and instruction. When you think about Solomon, you would look at him and you'd see probably early on in his life, he wrote Song of Solomon. And if you read the book, you'd realize it's talking about his love for, for a woman and he's young and he's into that aspect of his life. And then when you look into Proverbs, while he didn't write all the Proverbs, but he wrote a good bit of them and you see him as a father teaching his son. And so when we walk into Ecclesiastes, we see him as in the latter years of his life and he's looking back over and, he, and he's saying things like, like he's done, he's kept nothing from his heart. He's kept nothing from his eyes. He's kept nothing from his hands. And when you begin to realize this man with his great wisdom, his great resources, he was the king of Israel. He had great influence. He had great power. He was able to build gardens and, and whatever his heart desired, he could build it. Whatever he wanted to do, he could do that. That sounds pretty wonderful, doesn't it? And yet, as he began to look at life, he began to ask the question, what is the value? Where's the value of life? And when we begin talking about the blessed life, isn't that what we ask? We want our lives to come to a place whereby it matters, whereby that somehow when we come to the end of our days, we've said we've accomplished. And Solomon begins to look at that and he begins to look over, over the, the course of even his own life or his own activities and he begins to look at these things and he begins to ask himself some of these questions and he comes to this place where he says vanity of vanities. He, he calls them, in fact, if you have that new American or new international, I think it says meaningless, meaningless. It's this picture where he begins to look and wonder even of the value of that and the value of these things. And so... What I tried to do this week is I tried to come up with an outline. Uh, I tried to simplify it because you can get very detailed in Ecclesiastes. So I wanna emphasize this is a very simplified outline, but it's one I'm gonna use for today and hopefully I can make this all work. So when you talk about Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses one through 11, it's kind of an introduction. We're gonna look at it real briefly, the vanity of life under the sun. It's a really important term, something you need to understand when you read Ecclesiastes, what Solomon's doing is he's kind of looking under the sun of the activity of humanity and he's wanting to see where's that value. How does value, what's the value of it? And you'll see terms as he works, walks through this book and, and we probably we won't get into a lot of it today, but you'll see these terms where he'll see one who may be a be wealthy and one who may be poor, where he'll see one who may be wise and one who may be a fool. But yet, you know what? We all end up in the same place, don't we? We all end up in the light of, of death. Because what is, what, is, what is the result of iniquity? When sin entered into the garden, when Adam and Eve crossed that line and they entered into sin, they were plunged into death and they were plunged into iniquity, to sin and death, and it had its grips on them. 
And I can go and I can maybe go on my mortgage and I can kind of amortize it a little bit and extend it or I can maybe work out a deal. I can do all these things, but you know why? You can't do that with death. Death is won every time except once. And that's why I believe in Christ. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because he lives, I live. And so when Solomon looks at death and he sees this end, he wonders, well, what value is there? So when you look at it, there's really two major parts, two and three of this outline. You cannot live in the past, the vanity of human achievement. What Solomon does in this section is he kind of looks at all of the activities, the achievements, everything that's been done in the past, and he wonders, what's the value of that under the sun? And then in the second section, he says, you cannot live in the future. Human wisdom is limited. In other words, he says, with all of my wisdom, with everything I know, I really don't know what's going to happen after me. It's, there's a part where he says he, he spends all of his life and he works and he saves, and he has all this. And, he, and then when he passes, he leaves it. He doesn't know if that person is going to be wise or, or full. And he's talking about his son. Will he be wise or will he be full? We don't know what's going to happen after us. We don't know the events of the times. We don't know uh, the tragedies that may come. And so he comes to a conclusion in chapter really 11, uh, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 14. And he says, we enjoy life in reverence to God. It's something that we need to learn as God's people. To really learn to, uh, to begin to enjoy life and what God has given us. Solomon, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see him over and over saying, and this, and this too was a gift of God or a gift from God or a gift by God to them. You see that phrase over and over. And so many times we don't learn to enjoy the breaths that we have and the moments that we have because of our pursuit for things that we cannot grab. It's that picture of when he says in verse one of chapter one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jew, Jerusalem, in verse two, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He says this here and then in chapter 12 and verse eight, it's the theme of the book and when he begins to look at it, and literally that idea of vanity is the idea of breath or vapor. Some could take it and you could see where maybe it's this idea of, of kind of a smoke where it makes things that make it hard to kind of see and understand. But I really believe the idea is kind of this idea of breath or this grasping. And then when you grasp it, there's nothing there. Have you ever tried to catch air? You just can't do it. You, when you pull open your hand, there's nothing there. And the picture is, is that he's talking about all of these things are vanity and really the, the all there is, you know, the idea of all that is presented with it, with, uh, to us in our life and the way that we go about life. Where is the value? What, what brings eternal value? What brings the, the aspect where you come to a place and it has an impact The people, people do not forget? It's the efforts of people, of us under the sun that he's talking about. Look at verse three, he says, what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? And this is, I think, really the key of understanding this is that he's looking at the efforts of achievements of humanity and he's saying, what do they gain from it? Think about it for a minute. I always love doing this. This is one of the things I did with, when I was way back many years ago with students and I go, how many of you know your, your mom's maiden name, you know? Think about it. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know your mom's maiden name? Great. How many of you know your mom's mom's maiden name? Okay. 
How many of you know your mom's 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 maiden name? See, that's about as far as I can go. And you go asking the next. Been doing some research on uh, our ancestors. So it's been kind of interesting. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I had that name in my family line. You know, it's kind of interesting. I knew somebody that was a, you know, whatever the name was. We began to forget. I remember playing football and we were, we were in the playoffs and it was kind of the end of the year and we needed to beat this team and we both had good defenses, the, our team as well as their team. We both had good defense, so it was low scoring and it could be anybody's game, but we were down by three or four points and they had the ball and there was just minutes left in the game and so it was, looking, it was not looking good. We were, we were doing everything we can to get in this game and I remember this play, I was kind of, I was kind of playing defensive end at the time and, and I remember I would break up and then go into the, to the, to the quarterback, putting pressure, containing all those things. Well, this was a sweep going away, away from me, going to the other side. And I remember as I saw it going, that meant I had to get my lines to try to break it down in case they got by. But anyway, nevertheless, what I noticed out of the corner of my eyes, I noticed the guy that kind of blocked me. He, did, he didn't really block me, he kind of blocked and released. And it just, all of a sudden I went, wait a second, that's not right. And I looked out and he's getting out here in the flat and I began to back up to cover him. And in that moment, the, quarter, the guy with the ball, quarterback, he stopped, went through it back and I was able to snag it out of the air. And in my demon speed that I had in my days, you know, <laughs> began flying down the line. And I'll never forget as I was busting down that line, running for, 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 the, for the touchdown, one of, the, one of my teammates, and his name was Larry, I remember Larry came across because this one guy had a line on me, and he just, I mean, he laid the guy out. I was like, wow, that was pretty good. Larry and I ran in for the touchdown. We won. We went on to the championship. We won the championship. It was a pretty big, pretty big deal. And I remember it was a couple of years after that. I was sharing that, and I looked, at, I looked at Larry, and I said, do you remember that, Larry? And he goes, I remember the block. I didn't remember you caught the ball and ran it in. <laughs> Gee, you know. So I've been telling this story over most of my life so most people would know about it, right? To try to keep it alive, right? But isn't that how it is with our, with our activities? People forget. Who is the great builders? Do we know their names? Do we remember who they were? Do we remember their integrity? Do we remember the value they brought? He goes, he, he says, he looks at the toil of, of man under the, uh, under the sun at which he toils. And, and he's asking, he goes like in verse four, generation goes and generation comes and earth remains forever. It doesn't change. The wind blows, it blows where it may. The sun comes up, it sets. Where's where the value of life? So Solomon tells us in, in, uh, in verse 12, <clears throat> he tells us there that he says, he begins this search, if you will. And he says in verse 12, verses, uh, or, uh, verse 12 and verse 13, I, the preacher, had been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and, se- and to search out by wisdom all that had been done under the sun, under heaven. It is unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I always read this, and it's kinda, I kind of get, I kinda get uh, a little depressed, right? Because it's like, it's kind of negative. Ecclesiastes, when you read it, can be very dark. Some people would say this is a book written by a a bad man because Solomon made some bad decisions in his life. Others would say a good man, therefore it's a good book. It's a difficult book. 
It's a difficult book because when Solomon begins to look at pleasure, as he does in this chapter, in chapter two, as he continues on, he looks at pleasure and he looks at the accomplishments of men and he looks at wealth and he, and he looks and sees their wisdom and he thinks and he says, in light of death, where's the value? I mean, you accomplish all these things and who do you leave it to? Where does it, where does it remain? What is the value of it? In fact, in the second, in the, as you look at the breakdown on it, whoop. I guess I need to go to the next one. I do that sometimes. I just get started talking and I forget that I even have those. And he begins to look at it and he begins to search. Then in chapter three, he walks out and he says, we cannot control the timing of our life. If you look at chapter three, you start seeing where he begins to lay some of these things out. There's a time for this and a time for that. But, but who determines that time? Who lays that out? If you look at verse 11 of chapter three, he's, he says, Solomon says, he, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I think that's so interesting. So many times in our own ignorance as a human race, we think somehow we can figure it out. And we live in a day that is believing that more and more. It's indoctrinating our youth in America and our children in America. It's indoctrinating our college students that it's all about you. You can determine your destiny. And the reality is none of us in this room or online knows what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us. I was so upset that I had this. I was so excited about my second message in this series and that when I found out that I had COVID and I was sick on that Saturday before that Sunday I was supposed to preach, I was upset. I was like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow or today, but we serve this God that is able to see us through. And Solomon's taking us through and he's helping us to understand that. In fact, if you look on to verse 12 in that same place, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Solomon's looking and he's saying, I see this toil. I see things have their timing. We're not in control of the timing. What we need to do is learn how to enjoy life in the midst of our toil. So many of us, we grow frustrated and aggravated and upset with God, don't we? When the vents of our lives don't fall in place the way that we see fit. We forget that we're servants of an almighty king who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And we forget that and somehow we dictate to him how the events of life will be. And instead we find ourselves, as I have often in my life, angry, mad, and upset at God because he didn't work things out a certain way. And you know what? The reality when Solomon looked at this, he said, we are not in control of the timing of the events of life, are we? We're not. I would like to be, but we're not. We're not. And he goes on in chapter four, in chapter four, in chapter four, he says we cannot comprehend the cruelties of life and that is so true, is it not? There's things that we see in this world that do not make sense to us. In fact, if you read the first part of chapter four, 
he, it's, it's pretty difficult because he said, he's talking there about the idea that life sometimes and the pain and the cruelties of life happens that it would almost be better not to live and to experience it. It, cr- it hits us at the very crux of our, of our souls because there's things that we see, there's things that happen in this world that we cannot explain. There's pains that happen. There's difficulties. And what Solomon does here is he lists out in this chapter, in chapter four, four of these st- kind of a better statements. It's better not to have faced evil deeds under the sun. He talks about the guy who works all the time. And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's saying that it would be better to have some rest and work rather than to have two fistfuls of toil. That there needs to be this rest. He's talking about better because he's seen that person who all they did is they worked and worked and worked and yeah, they have this great, nice, beautiful place, but where's the value in that? Isn't there to be rest as well? He says he's seen the person who's alone. It's better too than one. And he also notices that a poor, a poor wise lad is better than an old foolish king. We put so many values on the things that we attain. We think it would be better if, we, if I had those riches. It would be better if I had that power and that influence. It would be better if I had those things. And Solomon's looking and he's like, I've had this, but I see where a poor lad who's wise is better than an old foolish king. We need to understand sometimes life does not happen the way that we desire. He continues on and And he says, we cannot fool God, chapter five through six, nine. It's kind of an interesting section and it was really hard for me to to label it because you can't fool God in empty worship. That's how he starts out in chapter five. You bring many words, you can bring your, your sacrifices, but you can't fool God. You can't fool God here this morning, whether you're online sitting at home in the comfort of your home or you're sitting in here, you can't fool God. Maybe you came in thinking somehow you're going to make God happy, right? The thing about God is he doesn't want our partial. He wants us to yield to him and recognize who he is. It's not enough to say, oh, I just, I think Jesus is right. It's about living who Jesus is. It's about him delivering us and taking us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's about embracing the teachings of God and applying them to our lives. It's about a relationship with our God. Don't ever get messed up in the the activities of religion for God knows better. You can't fool him with your activities. It's with the heart that we humble ourselves and we come before him. It's with reverence that we begin to gain wisdom about understanding the events of life. It's in him that we begin to grow and understand these things. He goes on in this chapter and he talks about, he talks about wealth and that it's from God. And it's futile, the wealth and accomplishment, labor, it's futile if you don't enjoy it. And you know what? The enjoyment comes from him too. When you begin to understand 
that what you have has been given as a gift from God, it changes your perception of what you hold on to and grasp. It does. That God is able to keep his people and see them through. And in chapter six and verses 10 through 12, that's really an important section because it's a transitional section where he moves from the achievements of the past and now he begins to look at the, at the future and he says in verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named in verse 10. And it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. He can't dispute with God. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for, for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And he moves to his future What's going to happen after him? Because we don't know. We don't, when we leave here today or wherever we go today, tomorrow, we don't know the events of the days. We don't know what is going to take place. We can't, can't determine that. There's value in wisdom. It can keep us from a foolish king and, and upsetting him, knowing how to deal with him. But in the same breath, we don't understand that the timing and the implications. In fact, that's what he goes on in chapter seven. And he, we cannot understand the significance of adversity and prosperity. We don't even understand those events that come into our lives. We don't understand their timing, their purpose, the advantage. We understand that wisdom is better than folly because folly in prison it causes us to fall into foolishness. But Chapter seven, he also, at, towards the end, he talks about the fact that he's made man upright, but man still pursued his own schemes. Isn't that what we do? I know in my Christian walk, my own life with God, that my biggest problems, my biggest difficulty is the pursuit of what I think is right. It's pursuing my own dreams, my own ways. It's not taking in the instruction of God's word. Solomon recognizes that and he says in, in the value of life, where's this value laid at? Chapter eight's really interesting. When you look at chapter eight, and it really is broken into two parts. Oh, there it is, yeah. We cannot understand the ways of life. And it's just two parts. There's this, this idea in the first part whereby wisdom can help us avoid the king's wrath. We know by wisdom how to deal with the king and we avoid his wrath but then at the second part of it, a person can't understand or wisdom cannot help us figure out the ways of what's taking place under the sun. There's, there's one that I see and he's, he's acting in righteousness, but it happens to him as if he was unrighteous. And there's one that I see who's unrighteous and it's happening to him as if I see one who is righteous. That doesn't make sense to me. And wisdom doesn't know how to figure all those things out in the, in the way that God deals with and the way that God works things out. In fact, verses 16 and 17 of chapter eight, it says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done in the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it. Even though, now listen to this, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. In the making, in fact, there's a phrase later on in Ecclesiastes, the number of books today that have figured 
out how we ought to live our lives, right? And yet here Solomon's saying, you just cannot know, just cannot know. In chapter nine, really through 11, six and kind of the last section before his conclusion, he says, we cannot understand what will happen to us. We can't understand events. In fact, the key, if you look through that section, the key phrase you're gonna see over and over again is no man knows, where no one knows, we cannot know. We do, verse one, we do not know what awaits us, whether it's love or hate, we don't know. Verse 12 of chapter nine, we do not know our time. We don't know the time of death. We don't know the events that are gonna happen to us. Chapter 10, verse 14, we do not know what will come or happen after us. We don't know what's gonna follow. Verse 11, we do not know what misfortune will happen on earth, whatever the events. Like for instance, Snowmageddon, we, did, we didn't know in January that was gonna happen. And if you did, talk to me because I need to find out next time what's coming, right? So we can be prepared. We don't know. What's interesting is that Solomon comes to this place and beginning in chapter, chapter 11 um, in verse seven, he comes to a conclusion. He says, enjoy life in the reverence of God. Verses 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse seven through chapter 12, verse seven. He really begins to just talk about enjoying your life. And he really talks about the young person, the student, like you guys that were D now this week. He's talking to them and he's saying, hey, live your life responsibly in the light of the fact that God is there and how you conduct your life to, to enjoy what God has given and do this before the days, and he's talking about old age, till the days become dark and, and you're not able to anymore to enjoy the, God, the life that God has given us and to live responsibly before him. And then in chapter 12, verse eight, he repeats, or ver, he repeats what he said way back in chapter one, verse two, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. When he looked under the sun and he saw the ways of, of people and he saw the ways that we go about our lives, he, he looked around and he said, what can I conclude that brings value to life? And to him, it was, it was like every time he found something and he grasped it, it was, it, was, it was vanity. It was emptiness. He looked back to the past of what people had accomplished way before him. And he looked and he says, it's, it's past. And again, he's looking under the sun. And then he says in verse nine, he says, besides being wise, <clears throat> the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. I, I love this phrase because here he's talking about at the end of his search, at the end of his, of his, of his, of his looking and his study of, of, of the ways of humanity, he says he tried to find or he sought to find words of delight. That's, I, I kind of relate to that because I've, I've been looking at this book for a couple of months. I've been trying to find the words of delight, right? Because so many of us have banked on things that we have accomplished, done, or collected. Where we just throw life to the wind for the, for the pursuit of pleasure. And we find our lives wondering what is the meaning, the purpose of life. And Solomon says, he's tried to write these, he's tried to put them together. Verse 11, he says, the words of the wise 
are like golds. And I love this picture because this is like a stick. When I was in Tanzania, I remember this little boy, he's probably 10 years old. He had a herd of about 15 to 20 cows and goats. And he had this stick, it was about this tall. And he was running along and he, that's how he was guiding them. And that's what Solomon's saying. These words guide us, they direct us. That's why, that's why in Psalm 1, God says, blessed is the one who delights in his instruction because it guides us, it directs us, it leads us. And then he goes and he says, he says, and are like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. In other words, when you nail something, you know, just nail it in there, it's fixed, it's not moving. And that's what the words of wisdom, that's what, that's what the instructions of God, his instructions towards us, his word, his teachings, his instruction to us, that's what it does in our lives. It fixes us. We're not tossed by every idea and thought and wind and, and running about crazy. We are fixed when we delight in the teachings of his word. And he says they are given by one shepherd Look what he's, look, if you look in your translation, it says one shepherd. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about God. God is our shepherd. He's guiding, he's directing, he's teaching, he's leading us. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of the making many books, there is no end. And much study is the weariness of the flesh. If I think there's a verse for our day, I think that's it. We are endless in our pursuit whether it's through Google. I, don't, I, I got rid of half of my library a couple of years ago. It's all, on, it's all online now. Crazy. It's endless. Every, every, every month I'm getting this, this Logos that I have. They're sending me more. You can buy this book. You can buy this book. It's endless. It's endless. It's worrisome. I can't look at all those books all the time. It's weariness. And the world continues to pursue to know. And they don't look above the sun, do they? They only look below, and it's endless. And he says, the end of the matter. Man, if you, if you don't understand what the conclusion is, you do not know how to read, I guess. I don't know. Verse 13 says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. It's simplistic. Fear God. Remember we talked about the fear of the Lord is have a reverence for God. Recognize who he is. Delight in his teachings. Delight in his instructions. Delight in what he has given us. And then keep his commandments. Simply allow them to be the guide in your life. To apply his teachings, his word, his law, his instructions. Delight in his, his instructions. Why? Because this is our duty. This is what brings value above the sun. When I come to the end of my days, when I, when I read about Enoch and he became my Bible hero, I came to the end of my days, I, my goal is that when, when I breathe my last breath, if they put anything on there on my tombstone of any value, I hope they said, they say, he walked with God. I sought after God. That was my goal. That's my goal. Because to me, that's the only thing that transcends under the sun. And then he says, Solomon ends, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, you're not gonna fool God. You can be here this morning, you might be thinking you're fooling God. 
you know, you're maybe you're thinking God's just happy that you're here. I don't know. You think you're fooling God. You're not fooling him. He knows everything, good and evil. And then the beauty of that is he's addressed everything in his son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, pray this morning that as we, as we go out from this place, let us, Father, not, let us not be that we're such that we're hearts that are set on what we attain or we collect or our achievements. But Father, let us have hearts that are set after you, that we would pursue you, that Father, you, you would work in our lives in such a way that Father, we would thirst for you, that we would realize that Father today that our value is not found in what we, what we accomplish, but our value is found in our relationship with you. Teach us reverence that we would, Father, have a fear of you in our lives, a respect, an awe, that Father, we would be a people that go about incorporating your truths, your teaching, your laws, your instructions in our lives, Father. That we would bring you glory in all that we do and that we say. That Father, we would not be a people following around in darkness or wandering around in darkness, but in the light of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.